Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good and the Bad and the Hungi here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me as always is my co-host, Fred Moreland, who had some fun with Zoom accounts today. How are you, sir? Uh, gotta love the uh, just the sloppy work of, not even sloppy, just the tedious work of input of data and making accounts and shit. So I'm just great. It's a wonderful. We're going to keep a episode short today because I have uh, actual work to do for my actual job and uh, love that. So let's go. Yeah, absolutely. You know what else is tedious, Fred? All this talk about Kenny Omega going to WWE. That is fucking we, tedious. <laughs> we have to touch on it. Um, there's been uh, conversation about Kenny Omega potentially going to WWE and WWE wanting him, which of course they would. Kenny Omega is a top five worker, and like he's probably the biggest star outside of the WWE bubble in the professional wrestling world today. Uh, and I don't think that's really much of a hot take. Um, he's huge in Japan. He's huge in the states, and everywhere he goes, he just he comes across as a megastar. Except Mexico, but Mexico is very centralized away from any other markets. Where if you are from the states, it's hard to get a huge reaction right away. Like the young bucks, everybody was silent to them. But that's also Mexico. It's, it's just, also it's AAA a, production too. Yeah, it's it's a very different ecosystem in professional wrestling, and that's not a bad thing. It's just something you have to contextualize. Yeah. Well, the big thing with Omega, he almost went to WWE after his New Japan contract expired at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. But AEW came about. And that's why he ended up picking that promotion. So there's a little bit more actual meat to the bone, but it's still a bunch of malarkey. Like, I don't see Omega as the kind of guy with, especially how he views pro wrestling, to want that WWE run just because you have to go to WWE at some point in your career. I, I just don't see it at this point, especially with what NXT has become, because that was honestly the draw for a lot of these guys, because they still got to be pro wrestlers within that portion of wwe well and also money is a pretty good reason to go to wwe now kiddies i'm sure doing all right financially i don't think there's any reason to be concerned about uh you know tony khan being outbid uh but is it possible it'll go to uh wwe yeah maybe he's talked before about how it is kind of was at least at one point appealing to him to uh, the idea of going to WWE where a lot more stuff would be laid out for him and there'd be a lot less stress on him to come up with stuff. Um, uh, look, yeah, I mean, it's not out of question that he'll sign with him. It's definitely not. But I think that what started all this was basically the fightful report of WWE would like to sign Kenny Omega if they can, which is kind of like, you know, me becoming a Cleveland Guardians reporter and be like, hey, uh, I heard that if they could, Cleveland Guardians would like to sign Aaron Judge. I think that worked out very well for them. And then everyone on the internet reacting by going, oh man, Aaron Judge is going to Cleveland. It's going to happen. <laughs> um, I can tell you as a Cleveland fan, they will not spend that amount of money even for Aaron Judge. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the, the echo chamber effect we've had over the past week is very stupid and silly. Um, but I mean, it doesn't mean that it can't happen. Uh, it's on the table. If um, you know he feels, they'll negotiate with him, I'm sure. If for nothing else, Kenny Omega will get leverage from WWE on AEW uh, for their contract offer and vice versa. And uh, then it'll be up to him to decide which situation he likes uh, will work better. But of course, we all know that it'll end up in MLW. And the world of MLW never stops. Never you know, stops. I, like, I, I hate when, when Fightful does this. And I feel like I am the kind of person who can comment on it because my entire business is to draw clicks. Um, being with the Vikings wire in USA today, you're trying to find stories that will draw attention, 
but there's a line. There is actually reporting news and just trying to draw clicks with based on something like that. Like you said, like, oh, WWE would like to sign Kenny Omega. No shit, Sherlock, they'd like to sign it. Let's actually be substantial with it. If there's nothing substantial, then don't write the piece. Like it to me, as somebody who tries to be a, a real journalist in this sense, I only want to write something that is substantial, has merit behind it. And you know what doesn't have merit? Saying, oh, WWE wants to sign one of the best fucking wrestlers in the world. To me, that's that's just hearsay. That's um, being a common sense individual. It's not yeah. actually reporting anything. It's not being newsworthy. You're not using any kind of journalism with it. It's To me, that's garbage. And I don't when when I write stuff for Vikings Wire, it's okay. I hear from an insider that there's. I wrote this earlier that there was a report that the Vikings and Brian Flores are interested in bringing back Patrick Peterson. Okay, there's some. There's a little bit of substance behind it because a local legit insider is explicitly saying it. Not oh, we would like to sign him, even though it's hey, he's under contract with another company, and there's literally nothing other that other than hearsay, like. I know that this person is 100% credible. I know that they've broken major news stories in this market in the past. And it makes sense for the Vikings to bring back Peterson because of all he played last year and the fact that he's going to be inexpensive. So there's a ton of things that line up, and that's why I ended up publishing the piece. Here, it's a whole bunch of malarkey, and I, I hate it. I think it's a bunch of crap, and I think we can all be better. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that, like, Sean Ross Sapp, I'm sure it did not just like make this up out of the either. You know, it was just like, I'm going to sit down and say WWE wants to sign Kenny Omega if possible. I'm sure there's someone that is. I'm not not saying that. And I'm not accusing you of saying that. I'm just being clear to the listener. Content. Yeah, it's not meaningful to me. No, there's not like, where's the substance? And this isn't, this isn't trying to bury Sean Ross after River with the piece. It's just the general concept because so many sites do this. It's not a specific fight. It is not like you'll see sites like Wrestling Inc., Wrestling mm-hmm. News, like Cage Side Seats. They all do it. Yeah. And being that I'm in the business of it, if it's not substantial, where I feel like I can actually be relaying real information to you, then I don't think it's worth it. And based on that report, I don't think it was worth it either. And it's quite frankly, it's it's anytime I see that kind of stuff is disappointing. Yeah, I you know I'm sure that it worked for what uh, Fightful was trying to do business wise, but I'm I'm you know I don't know if they even considered the possible ramifications of just like floating, uh, not even a report, just like a you know whatever you want to call that, and uh, letting that snowball out of control because they didn't like get out in front of the story to like clarify to the public. Um, so we just have had all this silly speculation, um, but. Here we are. This is what the media is. This is what we do online. Just an Ouroboros of uh, crapping in our own mouths. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things. It, it kind of is what it is. And I hate it. But look, it's it also draws money. So like, it, there are ways you can frame the conversation where you can still draw that money and get some real substance behind it. I, I didn't think this was it. And to me, that's the frustrating part. But um, I could yell about um, this stuff for hours and hours because this is my career and my life. So, uh, but let's let's talk about something a little bit more substantial, Fred. That is the Ring of Honor TV tapings. Uh, Ring of Honor television debuts tonight at I believe seven o'clock Eastern on Honor Club. I'm very intrigued by this because we've heard a lot of different things from the tapings that these might be like ten match shows. We don't even know how long they're going to be, how they're going to be structured. Is it going to be like an episode of NWA Power where you get a bunch of like four of six minute matches where, okay, you have a lot of matches, but you're not getting a lot of time. And then is it going to feel like dark because we know it's taped in the same building and the same day you have. Yeah. I I believe it's AR Fox and um, Claudio Castagnoli for the ring of honor world title is the main event of the first show, which I think is a nice little touch, but what are we going to get from these? And I think, that element is very, very intriguing because there's so many different ways it can go. But I will say I'm willing to give Tony Khan at least two tapings to really figure it out before I make any kind of discernible judgment, because I think he's going to be using this first batch to really tell him what he can and cannot do and get away with. 
Yeah, I'm just hopeful that we'll actually like it'll be an actual show rather than you know like a AW Dark slash Dark Elevation thing where it's just a bunch of squashes. Like you've got to have more than that. And I'm a little pessimistic given the. Uh, I mean, just let me just pull up the first uh, listing of tapings that's on Cage Match. Uh, listen, there's going to be some spoilers here, so if you're super hepped up about this, uh, might want to skip ahead a few minutes. Um, but there's matches on here, like, some of them sound like they'll be competitive, like uh, Timothy Thatcher against Wheeler Yuta for the pure title. I think that'll be good. But there's also uh, Eddie Kingston against Ben Deho, I'm guessing, uh, D-E-H-O, which I assume is a pun uh, there. Um, but, like, that's not going to be long, man. I don't think that's going to have much length behind it at all. And uh, there's a couple other matches on this first night that kind of look like that. And I don't know. Like, I... I don't know. I, I have concerns about what Ring of Honor is going to be, and in 24 hours, we'll know what it's going to be, but fingers crossed that uh, it, it delivers. You know, that's kind of where I am right now. Yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping it does too. I think we'll all be better for it if and when it does deliver, um, but we'll see. Um, I'm going to keep a completely open mind with this entire thing because look, we had questions about AEW and what Tony Khan was going to be when this company first started. Yeah. And we were, we kept being pleasantly surprised. I mean, there were, there were rough parts and there still are nothing's perfect in this company, but compared to other bookers in this country, like I don't think we've had a better booker over the last 20 years than Tony Khan, except for maybe stretches of ROH, Gabe Sapolsky and Jim Cornette. I'd say those would be the only two real contenders for, like this style of a really good cohesive booking. And even then I don't think they surpass gone. So I think we're, we're in a great spot for professional wrestling. And I just think we, we're ha- we have to be patient, especially with how Khan decides he wants to continue with ring of honor because he was very clear about wanting to keep the legacy of ring of honor and having these be really separate entities. Yeah. And uh, look, I, I think uh if anyone gets the benefit of the doubt this, you know, in 2023, as far as booking, it's Tony Khan. Um, yeah. I think he just won his third booker of the year award from the observer um, a week ago. Uh, but we'll see um, again. Uh, there's a little pessimism going, going around and I have a bit of it, but I guess we'll see what happens. Absolutely. And that's pretty much it for the news. Um, yeah. uh, I, I think we should touch on this one piece from, um aw before we end up get, talking about revolution because otherwise there's really not a whole lot to talk about eddie kingston quit oh, yes. aew i think this is something we need to discuss and it wasn't aired on television you could you saw the beginnings of it when it was him and uh ortiz just fighting to the back and then they kind of eliminated themselves from the face of the revolution ladder match and then in something that a clip that aired on AEW social media, Lexi Nair was interviewing Eddie Kingston. She asked him about their brawl and he just looked at the cameras like, I quit AEW, took his stuff and left the building. And if you've been following him on social media, he's been kind of alluding to this, being really upset with the promotion, being upset with how he was booked, this, that, and the other thing. And this is kind of a culmination to it. And I think one, it's been brilliantly done by Kingston Two. I think this means he's probably going to be full-time Ring of Honor, which honestly is going to be great for him. I would not be shocked if he beats Claudio for the title and they try to build this promotion around him, especially with, I think we're going to see Blackpool Combat Club, Dark Order in some form, um, feuding, and maybe that ends up leading to blood and guts. Uh, I think this is could end up being very interesting. What was your take when you saw it? Uh, you know, I think it's a good move to kind of bolster Ring of Honor with a pretty big name. I do think that the second half of 2022 for uh, Eddie Kingston was a real bust. Like from July on, once the incident with it was Sammy Guevara, right, where they had the argument backstage that escalated into fist fight. Uh, but the second half of that year is just brutal for him. You had the little Eddie Kingston and Ortiz tag team leading into like. Do they even have? They haven't even had a match um, other than being in the ladder match last night together. Um, so I don't know. I feel like he needs uh, needs a chance to reheat, and uh, hopefully he will be able to do that in Ring of Honor. 
Yeah, I hope so too, because Kingston rules and obviously there's a myriad of factors as to why his push wasn't working or didn't um, apex nearly as well as it should have. But those are conversations for another day because Fred, it is time. Actually, I'm going to cut you off, going to cut you off Uh because there is, I remember just now, and I apologize that this is uh, screwing with you live on air. Uh, But I do remember another news story we should go through, which is that last week, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards were announced. Um, as you can tell, I did not prepare a a run sheet for this show, uh, but we should probably run through that real quick. What do you say? Let's, let's do it, man. All right. I got it open right now. Uh, you know, the MVP wrestler of the year, Luthez, Ric Flair award, uh, John Moxley won for the second time in his career, joining a very small group of two time winners. Um, Harley Race, Ric Flair, uh, Misawa, Kobashi, Jericho, Cena, Tanahashi, AJ Styles, and Kenny Omega. Uh, that is a ridiculous list, and uh, I don't know. It'll be very interesting to watch the John Moxley uh, Hall of Fame debate, I think, this year, because I think he's getting added back onto the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, Roman Reigns was second, Will Ospreay third. Uh, Okada and Siri round out the top five. Jericho, MJF, and CM Punk were all six through eight, and Brian Danielson was at ten. Um and most outstanding, unsurprisingly and deservedly, went to Will Ospreay, who had just one of the best in the year. Uh, in-ring years of all time, Brian Danielson second, Moxley fifth, uh, Dax Harwood finished sixth in his uh, his personal attempt to win that award, <laughs> uh, this very sweaty grab for it, um, and then Takeshita at nine. Um, you know, those are kind of the two big awards. Uh, I don't think either win is a big surprise. You know, you could definitely, if you're a WWE guy, make an argument for Roman Reigns, and if you're a work match work rate guy uh you really would have to lean on that hard for will osprey though i think that's not a bad argument um i think the aw placements at least were pretty reasonable in both awards any thoughts I, I really have no issues with any of that um i think john moxley um being the mvp i think is perfect um especially with how much he's meant to aw L- look at what Moxley was supposed to be doing and then look at what he actually did. The man was supposed to take a vacation multiple times and they ended up strapping him up again. Yep. And again, they strapped Mm. him up twice to carry the company through unfortunate circumstances, both of which were caused by CM Punk one via injury, one via being an asshole at a press conference. Um, And they decided to go back to John Moxley because he was the guy you can rely on. He's going to put the company on his back and get them through. And you know what? He did a fantastic job of doing that. And I love it. I think you have to give it to him. And then in just terms of work rate, Will Ospreay is second in none. Like He had four-star matches with, what, 20 different opponents? Something across like, like seven promotions? Like, this is an insane individual in every positive connotation. Will Ospreay is incredibly special. He is in the ring. He is a genuinely brilliant worker and he has figured out going from a straight flippy do guy, just doing spot fest, learned how to sell. I mean, he had some struggles for a couple of years being way over dramatic, but he's figured it out. He's figured out his in-ring character and he's working it to perfection. And it's not just, Hey, we're going to do one match. We're going to build a story and look at uh, what they've done so far with Okada. Look at now what he's building with Kenny Omega. That man is going to win multiple belts at the Tokyo Dome. And he may be the first gaijin to ever win or defend a world title in New Japan history at the Tokyo Dome, or at the very minimum at Wrestle Kingdom. That is because I think Brock Lesnar did, but I don't fact check me on that. I'm not 100% sure. I know a gaijin has never won the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. And I think that is something that Osprey is going to be the first ever to do. Yeah, I mean, he's just setting up to have a completely insane career, and uh, kudos to him for all he accomplished this past year. Uh, other quick ones roll uh, fast. Uh, Tag Team of the Year, unsurprisingly, went to FTR. Then the Briscoes and Young Bucks. Usos fourth, acclaimed fifth. Um, not even the WWE guys could get a, you know, put that much effort into voting the Usos up. Uh, best on interviews, MJF one, Moxley two, CM Punk three. Uh, again, pretty basic promotion of the year went to AW over stardom and then WWE. 
which I'm not entirely sure if this is a typo because with these tables, Dave does occasionally get typos, but um, I'm not sure. Dave, if Dave did say that um, the stardom number is supposed to be like 2,500 or 2,600. He I said that. that was a typo because somebody asked him on Twitter and he said it's supposed to be X instead of Y. What I was wondering about is it showing WWE without a single first place foe, which uh, I find very interesting. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't. Again, I can't say if that's uh, that's true or not. I should probably check with them. Uh, Dynamite won weekly TV show of the year by a big margin over SmackDown. Uh, match of the year went to the G1 Okada Osprey match, uh, right over the last FTR Briscoes match, and then the Tokyo Dome Okada Osprey, and then the first FTR Briscoes match were the top four. So a couple of rematches there. Uh, Moxley uh, Canada US MVP. Um, uh, Darby Allen finished second in the non heavyweight uh, Hodge Award behind Hijo Del Vikingo, and Steary won women's wrestling MVP, uh, uh, over top of Bianca Belair and then Jamie Hayter. Actually, you could have combined their vote, t- vote totals, and she still would have won. So, good year for her. Um, what I and there's more, um, what I'm going to bring up last. Because I'm kind of just reading off a fucking newsletter to you. But the most interesting thing I thought was the uh, Best Booker Award, which Tony Khan won by uh, 45 votes over Rossi Ogawa, with uh, Papa H finishing third uh, behind those two. And I thought it was very interesting that Dave Meltzer has said that he usually doesn't comment on the Best Booker Award and then wrote a whole ass paragraph about how he thought uh, Paul Levesque was uh, the unquestionable uh should have been the unquestioned winner of the award which i thought was uh very interesting in a i think that's wrong kind of way um i think you could make the argument for him as well but i also think that like tony khan did a good job of steering the ship through all the injuries and drama from brawl out and did about as good as anyone could uh i mean just appointed the forbidden door build uh working out as well as it did considering that like half their roster was eaten by sharks and I also think you can make the argument for Rossi Ogawa. I mean, Stardom certainly appears to be the number two promotion in Japan. I know that's kind of a meme to argue about who's in that spot. But I think that, it, you know, at least for him over here, it, it seems like they have done that. And uh, I think he's done a good job uh, getting that done. So is Rossi actually the booker of Stardom? That's always is, the is question. Is he just the placeholder? Isn't that the question with uh, most Japanese promotions outside of New Japan? I mean, there's always seems to be like a debate who's actually booking Dragon Gate. There was a whole thing about was Nasawa booking Noah at all that uh, Dave kind of fell into the trap with that because of a basically a scammer of sorts um, sending him bad info. I don't know. Uh, he's commonly credited as it, but Rossi Agawa is, but I don't know if he still holds that position after the uh, purchase of the company. Yeah, it's hey. Either way, I know Stardom is a tremendously booked promotion, and it's really hard to argue against it. Um, look, I, I I don't really have any issue with these, except Dave Meltzer saying that Triple H was the unquestioned Booker of the Year. Look, if you want to make the argument that business didn't fall based on the scandals of Vince McMahon, and you want to credit Triple H for that. I don't see how you really can credit Triple H for that because it's WWE and they've, for the most part, remained pretty stagnant. They've had a couple peaks, a couple valleys, yeah, but it's not like their business took off. It's not like we saw a consistent 20% growth across the board. Going or They didn't even go from like 1.8 million uh, viewers on Raw on average to 2 million on a consistent level. There's been a lot up and down. And the little changes he's made haven't exactly been substantial. So I don't see a real argument that's based in good faith. And this isn't an attack on Dave Meltzer. This is just me personally opining. I I just don't see an argument in good faith saying that uh, Triple H was a better booker this year than anybody in professional wrestling. I'm willing to listen to anybody who wants to make that argument. But tell me that. they did a better job than Tony Khan with a straight face and with actual data to back it up. Considering that Tony Khan literally booked a show of the year with everything that you mentioned in forbidden door. And not only that dealing with the politics 
of everything with Forbidden Door. Like it to me, there is no argument, and it's very frustrating. Yeah, I I disagree with Dave. I think that well, part of the thing is you should consider you know work over the year, and Triple H only did half a year. Also, uh, I do see a strength. You know, the Sami Zayn storyline uh, getting really hot, like it did with the fan base. But at the same time, it's not exactly like it was a perfect record. I think the biggest criticism you could probably levy in terms of creative at Paul Levesque outside of like just kind of being very staid and uh, conservative is the whole Bray Wyatt return being a total bust. And I think he's lost all momentum that was there originally, when which they had built up. Um, so I think that's a big strike against him. But, you know, you could make that argument. You could say WWE is the biggest company and they actually like had a better year than they have in a while. And uh, you could make that argument. I don't agree with it, and I don't think it's a great argument, but that's what it is. Anyways, I just thought that was interesting and worth uh, discussing for a moment. No, I think it absolutely is. But the thing with the Zane storyline is they just continued something that they didn't even want. And it wasn't like, hey, the acclaimed all of a sudden got red hot. Tony was building them up for multiple years, and then he saw, hey, these guys are getting red hot. Let's roll with it. And then you had those great reactions from the crowd at both All Out and Grand Slam, and then it culminated with a title win, and they were still hot. It wasn't, hey, we accidentally stumbled into something. Let's maybe go with this. And then they didn't even pay it off. Uh, and I know you can't talk about the mistakes at Elimination Chamber uh, for Levesque's case for Booker of the Year 2022, but... I'm I'm sorry. It wasn't like they had this brilliant idea with Zane. It was a uh, supposed to be a couple week storyline that just evolved and evolved and evolved. I will say to their to their benefit is that for once in WWE history, recent history, they did not instantly get, see a storyline getting over and then decide to shut it down uh, to stick to their original plan of not pushing that person in question. That that is probably the the best thing you can say about Triple H. Wow, what a ringing endorsement. I know, right? But hey, uh, making the obvious move sometimes, uh, it's still the right move and still worthy of like, hey, you didn't screw it up, congrats. <laughs> Again, yeah. not much of a ringing endorsement. However, I'm done with this shit. Um, <laughs> Tyler, I am uh, I got the, the old thermometer out here. Uh, it's a little infrared one. I'm pointing it at things to see how hot they are. That's right, baby. But you got a pay-per-view on Sunday. It's time for the heat check. Boy, am I glad it's not a rectal one. Let's get this over with. All right. So what we're going to do, like the last time we talked up a preview to pay-per-view, is we're going to go through the card. And I'm going to have Tyler share his thoughts on uh, how hot he thinks the – how hot he is into this angle, basically, or this storyline, this match, the build. Uh, I'm very good at describing things today. I am a professional. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being that he is as hyped as possible, uh, Mojo Raleigh would look at him and say, that is entirely too hyped, son. And one is he is not excited at all. Uh, so we're going to start with the bottom of the card from uh, Wikipedia on Revolution. We currently have eight matches announced, and I'm sure that there's a couple others coming, but uh, I'm not going to worry about those because they're probably on the pre-show or just like the seventh match from the top. So... Let's start with Christian Cage and Jack Perry in a no-holds-barred match. Tyler, where are you at? 110. Six. Um, I like that this match is happening. I really don't like that it's happening on this show. I feel like with the angle of Christian coming back, I feel like this is just a little too rushed. I think there's more meat on the bone. And to me, that's that's the frustrating part. It's not that we're going to get some type of culmination or evolution with the storyline. I think how they've gone about it in this portion of the feud has just felt a little rushed, and that's why I'm a little down on it. Um, you can see what the finish is going to be a mile away, and maybe Tony Khan has something up to sleep for a swerve, but it feels like uh, at the end of the match or to actually win the match, um, Jack Perry is going to hit the concerto on Christian. They teased it last week on Dynamite. Christian ended up hitting him in the nuts when Jack was finally going for it, and then you had that weird promo this week on Dynamite where Jack was tearing up and they kept showing like a little video montage of the concerto and like i think this is going to be a really good match i just wish that the build in this segment of the feud was better i just don't think it has been fair enough i like the uh the three the the past couple weeks once christian came back 
I think he's done a fantastic job character work wise. Um, and I really liked his promo last night. Uh, and I think uh, that's really carrying the feud for me. I probably would go a seven on this one. I am a, I, and I think given all the injury layoff time with Christian and also Luchasaurus, um, that, you know, it's probably fine just uh, finishing up, getting it done while he can. Because if you wait around, you know, who knows? But I do think this is probably the, doesn't, this might be a spot where it would be better if uh, AW was doing like six or seven pay-per-views a year, you know, just so they'd have something in two months that they could build this properly to. Uh, but this will be fine. I think it'll be a good match. I think it'll be a good match too, but I, I just wish they would have done a little bit more. Uh, speaking of short builds, let's talk about the House of Black against the Elite for the AEW World Trios Championship. One to ten. Tyler, where are you? Seven. And really? I, I really don't care about the build. Um, House of Black shows up and they kind of tease that they want the Elite. And then they sh- they make the challenge, and then they show up and beat the living shit out of them this past week on Dynamite. This feud is built. I want those titles. You have them, and we're gonna beat your ass for them. It it really feels that simple. The spooky stuff has basically just been the lights go out and they go kick ass. And I am I've wanted to see these teams wrestle really ever since um, the House of Black kind of came into the company as a unit. And then once we got these trios belts, this is one of the feuds that I, I earlined and underlined and circled or what, however you want to uh, identify it. This is one I want to see. I want to see Aleister Black get in there with Kenny Omega. I want to see like Kenny Omega light Buddy Matthews go in there with Omega. I want to see them, uh, what the Young Bucks can do with a huge base like Brody King and vice versa. I think this is going to be a tremendous match. Like the floor on this match is four and a quarter. The ceiling is limitless, and I want to see what these guys can do. And if they're given 20 to 40 minutes, uh, like I, I'm guessing they're probably going to get like 22 minutes. Like I think these guys can have a hell of a match. And to me, like this is the epitome of what AEW started to be, right? Hey, we're going to go in there, and we're going to have great wrestling. This feels like an opener to kick off a a show and hopefully project it out to be red freaking hot. And I can't wait. Yeah, I think it uh, should be a fantastic match, but I'm a lower on the build just because it's been over like the past two or three weeks with uh, just very short angles, nothing to really heat it up too much, especially with um, Rampage. Those segments just being like, ah, oh, they're spooky, spooky bullshit with the lights. It's never Sabu. Um yeah, I, I'm not super into the build, but it is going to be a great match, and uh, I think it'll definitely deliver. Next, Tyler, we are looking at for the AEW Women's World Championship, a three-way match with uh, Ruby Soho and Soraya ch- challenging Jamie Hayter. I'm out of five. <laughs> okay. And l- let me kind of walk you through this, because in-, in reality, I don't think this has been greatly built. But my intrigue for this match is in three phases. One, uh, I love watching Jamie Hayter work. I think she's tremendous. She's got a, a fantastic physique as far as being a tremendous professional wrestler. She is very muscular. She's got a tremendous look. Her gear looks awesome. Just the whole package of Jamie Hayter, uh, I, I just absolutely love. I think she's the best um, women's worker in North America. And I think the only one that could give her a run for her money is uh, Mercedes Monet. And we saw that at battle in the Valley. Um, I, and I just love watching her wrestle. And I think she's got two interesting opponents, Soraya, who I'm very interested to see. She's in a big spot in a non tag match. How is she going to handle this? That uh, is she going to show any growth or evolution from her entrance to the company, which was incredibly shaky. Like she has not worked a lot as a professional wrestler since she came back and joined AEW. How is she going to look? How are the interactions with her and Hater going to be? And then you have Ruby Soho, who is a stalwart worker. She's she kind of works to the level of her competition. I think is is the the best way. She's not going to carry a match, but she's not going to drag one down either. So I think her interactions with Hater are going to be great. 
I'm very curious to see what her interactions with Saray are going to look like. Are they going to be really sloppy? Are they going to be clean? Like, I think this the ceiling of this match is four and a half if it's put together well and everybody works really hard. I think the floor of this match is two stars because it's a three-way and this could get go really off the rails with um, some of the performances we've historically seen with both Saray and Ruby Soho. But the real intrigue for me is how does this feud with the this female NWO versus the AEW originals go? Where does Ruby Soho lie? Like some of this has been really bad, but I'm still intrigued because I think that there's an end game and Tony Khan's just been dragging his feet. And I think we could see something here at the end of uh, this match. And I that's why my intrigue is as high as it is. There's a lot of moving parts and components here, but we could end up with something either really bad that we get to bury or something pretty special that we get to talk about and are pleasantly surprised. Yeah, there is a lot of variability on this one, uh, but it will be uh, really interesting to see where it falls. Um, I'm not super positive that it's going to work out well, but um, I guess we'll see. Uh, I do think that there's a lot of questions in my mind what exactly they're going to do going forward with uh, Soraya. Um, just because there's so much, uh, you know, I, I'm not even sure she's been doing a great job. Uh, I feel like this uh, heel turn has been very much a attempt to bail it out. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess we will see. Next up is banned from ringside the Jericho Appreciation Society in the singles match between Chris Jericho and Ricky Starks. Okay, so I want to point this out. Did you notice that it's not an everybody banned from ringside match anymore? It is now just the Jericho Appreciation Society. Did you catch that, Fred? I did not. Um, do you think some hijinks are going to come from this? Watch it be Action Andretti. Because um, he's he's been the only other constant in this feud. And it being a two-on-five feud is kind of weird. Um just you you would think Ricky Starks would have more people with him or they would try to loop some other people in and they just haven't. So to me, it kind of sing, signals that we could get some hijinks here and I'm very intrigued to see what happens. Um, as far as the match, I'm probably at like an eight. I really want to see uh, Ricky Starks have this huge spot with Chris Jericho on a pay-per-view. I want to see what kind of match they build. I want to see how Jericho tries to elevate Ricky Starks. And I want to see that Ricky Starks shine because I think, look, we've talked ad nauseum and a lot of people have about, Oh, you don't get anything from a Chris Jericho. If you bull fucking shit, Ricky Starks is a damn mega star at this point. And I think that we're going to start having conversations about, should he eventually take the belt off of MJF and when he should be a world champion? Not if, and if he, and that is if you're not already there, because I think he's a future world champion and you can just see it. The in-ring work is really catching up to his uh, charisma and what he's able to do on the mic. And Jericho really comes out with these big spots and does a great job with it. And I'm very excited to see what happens. Yeah, um, I'm pretty excited for this one, too. I actually have liked the build for the most part. Uh, I like that last... Uh, the segment from last week's Dynamite a good bit, um, especially with the way uh, Stark sold it at the end. I think that really made it. Uh, but yeah, I like this, and I think it should be a good match um, if Jericho's in good shape, because it does seem like he's... Look, I feel weird saying this, but you know, I think he's fluctuating a bit uh, in terms of just how in shape he is recently. But if he's all... If his physical condition is perfect or as perfect as he can be at this point in his career, uh, he should have a very good match with uh, Ricky Starks. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be a lot of fun. At the very least, it's going to be chaotic and it's going to be engaging. The wrestling may not be, like, perfect. I mean, Jericho's 53. You, you yeah. Know, there's only a certain level that you can truly expect from him. But if they build it based on a really good story, kind of like how like Cody and Dustin, that was a traditional old school wrestling match with a lot of story intertwined. They built something like that. I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to be that because that, that was just different real life brothers. And they were kind of culminating a feud that they didn't get to in WWE. 
But if they can build a story-type territory match, this could be great. Yeah, it could be a lot of fun, and I hope it is. Uh, he also, I mean, he still has a great mind for the business, Jericho does, and I think he's going to have some very interesting ideas for this. I do think uh, I had not considered an action and ready heel turn to join the Jericho Appreciation Society. I don't know how I feel about that. Honestly, I, I don't think I like it, but at the same time, I don't know what Andretti's direction is going to be um, after this. I feel like it probably would mirror the Daniel Garcia storyline that we had a little too much, uh, but it could be interesting. Uh, our next match is for the TNT Championship. It's between the challenger Wardlow against the champion Samoa Joe. Oh, man, I, I don't... I I genuinely don't know um, how I feel about this. The build has been both great and really bad. Um, I'm going to put this as a, at a six. Wardlow has cooled off considerably over the past six months. Um, has he, still gets, he still gets great reactions. That's the yeah, thing I always think. Maybe that's just with me. I think his cycle of what he's been doing on shows and then coming back. Um, I did like how they built up this match with with the hair piece and him talking about his dad and why he was growing it out. I thought that added a lot of juice. We talked about that on this show, and I think I was way more into that than you were because uh, I think you thought it was really clunky, which I totally understand as well. No, I actually liked that promo quite a bit. I just thought that the uh, that the first half of the segment with Jim Ross was uh, kind of meh, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I liked the the once he started firing up, Wardlow, I thought, did a really good job in that promo. Yeah, I, I thought he did, too. I'm very intrigued to see where this goes. Um, but we have Powerhouse Hobbs that's going to challenge for the um, ROH TV title on next week's Dynamite, which to me signals that Samoa Joe may lose both belts. Um, it could also be the continuation of his dominance. Um, I'm very intrigued to see the direction. I don't currently see what the direction is right now because it could go about five different ways. Um, so I guess I put it at about a five. I'm not super thrilled with everything they've done with this build, but they've done enough to keep me engaged. Yeah, I, I think it's been a, a decent enough... Uh... Uh, build but i think at the same time like this could be a really fun match uh joe can still go uh granted it helped that it was darby allen trying to kill himself opposite him uh but i think in general it was a good performance and um yeah uh, i'm rather i think this could be a lot of fun uh next yeah. up is adam page and john moxley in texas death they don't even say it's a match they're just saying texas death oh 10 or sorry 9.9 because i am not as excited about this match as i was about kenny omega and will osprey but okay fair how enough can you, how can you not be thrilled with this match the build has been excellent they took an oopsie where uh adam page got legit knocked out and concussed and they turned it into a great story that promo by john moxley where he's bleeding buckets oh my god in, in that stairwell was phenomenal and then you just have the camera pan down and you see the pools of blood as he's screaming into the camera and basically saying you know what you're a great wrestler you're a good guy but you aren't a psychopath like me and you don't go to that like we talk about edge going to that place. that place yeah because like, he, he gets his goofy looks and all that crap mm -hmm. moxley goes to that place but that place is, I'm going to fucking murder you. And there is no memeing about it. It's just Moxley's a, a cold-blooded killer. And I Paige think you may be over, over-representing just how spectacular that murder would be. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it would be incredible. It would be, uh, be Saw-like. Very creative. Very gory. Um, but this is going to be incredible. Can Adam Page who I know I was listening to um, the dynamite review by Joe Lanza before we ended up starting to hit record. And one thing that he said that I found interesting that I hadn't really considered the Texas death match might be becoming Adam pages thing. Cause he's had a few of them and he's won them all. Yep. So it is Moxley setting himself up to make like, lose in a match that I believe 
the only other Texas death match that Moxley has been in AEW was with Lance Archer and he lost. That's right. Now, he beat, he beat Lance Archer in 2020 in the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom 14, but he lost the rematch in All Elite Wrestling mm-hmm. for that IWGP US title. So I'm very intrigued to see what, what happens here. All I know is this. Earlier in the night, presumably earlier in the night, we're going to have Christian Cage and Jungle Boy in a hardcore match. This is going to be a death match. I wouldn't yeah. be shocked if we see panes of glass, doors. Like, we're going to see all kinds of weird things with barbed wire. We could see a homicidal fork. This is going to be bloody. It's going to be gory. And it's going to be great. I This could be a five-star death match. But I, I would expect it to at least come in a four and a quarter. Yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to it. And uh, it should be a great match. Uh, that leaves us with two more. First of all, the four-way for the AEW World Tag Team Championship. Uh, the challengers are the acclaimed Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett and Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen against the Guns, Austin and Colton, who are the champions, of course. How hyped are you for this, Mr. Tyler? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> listen, I'll I'll be at a 10 hyped if, if we get Jeff Jarrett winning a tag team title in AEW, because I think that's the direction you need to go here. Um, but I'd probably put it myself at a three. I genuinely don't care, Fred, about this match other than I want to see Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal win these belts and give uh, a fresh element to this tag team division. And maybe they end up being the ones to surrender the belts to a team like Top Flight. And you're putting over a a young tag team that you can make into big stars. Um, I think uh, the writing was on the wall the second you showed um, Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen in the back. I thought it was really cool how they got there. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as in the tag team battle Royal, which honestly wasn't that great anyways, but I did think it was cool that one, you're getting Dan Housen on the show, which is just fun. And he's been booked so incredibly well in this company. Um, it's hard to book comedy wrestlers really well. And Tony Khan's done a great job with Dan Housen. He's super over orange Cassidy is super over. And I think this match needed that element more than anything. I was very disappointed. Aussie open isn't on this card, but that could change. I, I could, I, we did see, um, I can't remember what those geeks are called. Um, the varsity th- athletes. Yeah. The varsity athletes and the Lucha brothers, they kind of set something up. Maybe that's a pre-show squash, Perhaps. but I would really like to see, um, Aussie open versus the Lucha brothers to finish off the buy-in to really try to sell this pay-per-view. We're not going to get that, but that was my hope. And And I got to say, man, Aussie Open needs to avoid these damn tag team battle royals because they were dumped for both of them like nothing. Not not a great look for them. Um, They got to they got to make sure they're getting booked well, because that was not what uh, they got out of this one. Yeah, it's I'm very intrigued. Uh, and finally, our main event is Brian Danielson's. <laughs> I can't talk. Brian Danielson as the challenger against MJF for the AEW World Championship in a 60 minute Iron Man match. Nine and a half. Um, this is a match that Brian Danielson has historically been successful in. And this is a match you just know wrestling nerd MJF is thrilled to be a part of. Um, I wonder how they're going to finish this match and what kind of shenanigans MJF is going to pull off to win this match. Um, I, I've thought that he's going to do the Brock Lesnar thing when he wrestled Kurt Angle in that Iron Man match on SmackDown in 2003, where he grabs the chair and just clocks him over the head and hits him a bunch, gets the one DQ, and then he gets two quick pinfalls out of it. I think that could be a really interesting way to kind of help get him out get them out of, hey, you don't want to make Brian Danielson look weak because this is really his match, but you don't want to take the belt off MJF. I'd say there's about a 5% chance you get Brian Danielson winning this belt because um, I think this is, they're trying to build an MJF 10-pole reign. But I could also see Tony Khan being like, you know what? MJF is going to have his time and we need to go in a different direction for right now. Um, I, I'm I'm really intrigued to see the conclusion of this match and how they set it up because that's going to speak volumes about how good of a booker Tony Khan is 
like as, as far as continuing on, because we talked about some of the issues we've had with this booking, how there's been some lack of connective tissue, how there's been some lack of creativity, him going back to the well too many times with some basic concepts. I mean, every booker does that. They have the things that they really like. Uh, WWE is, oh, let's just do a ladder match. Um, but right. if like Tony Khan has only been a booker for about four years now, at a certain point, everybody gets booker fatigue. Is Tony mm-hmm. Khan starting to get into that booker fatigue with some of the things we've talked about? Or is he going to have a really creative finish to set this apart and have a satisfying conclusion with MJF still retaining the title and Brian Danielson not looking like a geek? That, to me, is going sep- is going to really tell us a lot about Tony Khan as a booker. Uh, and also, don't forget that like it's not like just entirely up to him to have such a creative finish. I'm sure that with Brian Danielson in particular, but also MGF, who's a creative guy there, that they'll be able to uh, come up with a pretty good finish. So that should be very interesting. Uh, but th- yeah, there's your card. Um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a good show. I may not get to watch it until Monday. Uh, Tyler will have to have a little chit chat off air about um, if we're going to do a special show for this one or not, or if I'm going to be too busy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this show and I think it should be, uh, it's lining up to be a really great one. Yeah, it really is. I'm very excited for this show. Um, this is probably the least excited I've been for an AW pay-per-view in some time, but I'm still excited for it just because I think like there are only four pay-per-views. I feel like revolution is going to be the one that traditionally is going to have the weakest cards, um, just with how everything sets up. Um, how long it's going to take to get from full gear to revolution um, because it, it's, I think it's about 18 dynamites. Like, and then you have like winter is coming and then you have um, another like big dynamite show in between. And then you, you're obviously coming up to the summer where you're going to have double or nothing. And then we believe forbidden door two um, that is unconfirmed, but we we've seen something floating around that says, Saturday, June 24th. How true is that going to end up? Um, I'm still intrigued for the show, but we'll see how it lands because I think there's a possibility that this could be a one of the early AEW pay-per-views that just falls flat. You know, I don't think so. I think maybe... I think there's room to criticize the bill. Bill, it has felt kind of uneven at points, but when I look at these matches, like for the most part, I am pretty hyped to watch most of these like the tag team championship matches whatever it almost feels like a pre-show match to be honest but i think that um you know just what we got on this card is generally i think the builds have been pretty good uh and i think that they'll definitely deliver in terms of match quality um so i don't know i i am looking forward to it i think it should be fun um, I we have one mailbag question that I'm going to get to in a second, but first let's just run through some quick Rampage and Dynamite thoughts. Uh, I thought Rampage was actually pretty damn good last week, especially by like current Rampage standards. I really liked that Aussie Open um, Young Bucks tag match. It was I can't remember the the last Rampage match that I liked that much. I think I ended up going four and a quarter on it. Um, and I also liked the Action Andretti Sammy Guevara main event. I thought it was pretty good like three and a half stars level. Like, you know, if you have got time, you should check it out kind of match. But again, by rampage standards, that's like a, that's, that's nice, you know, to be able to get both of those on the same show. Um, and so I liked it. I thought it was a pretty good episode. I'll be honest. I didn't get a chance to watch rampage. Tyler, because... you and your hey, foosballs. Yeah. You know what? And your it's... work. And yeah, your, I need second... money to live. The second we're done with this, I'm actually going to turn on NFL Network right now. I I need to watch the combine. Uh, the NFL. Um, Who watches the NFL? Like that's not even a big deal. Oh, you know what? It's <laughs> only the the highest grossing sport in the fucking world. That yeah, sure. I, they all say that. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Football. Jabronis. I'll tell you the real sport. Professional wrestling. It's going to say scrabble. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I get to watch defensive linemen and linebackers do drills and run the 40 yard dash. So, woo. Cool. Um, hope you have fun doing that, to be honest. Uh, okay. So, 
uh, Dynamite last night, I thought was a was a good show, not a great show. Um, I thought the best thing on the show by a, a wide margin in terms of match quality was the the face of the revolution ladder match. I thought that was uh, pretty darn good. I think I ended up going four and a half on it. Thought about just going four and a quarter. Maybe I should have. Uh, but like commander got himself a chance to show out on national TV and really only did two spots, but they were two insane spots. Um, and Kingston and Ortiz win the work smarter, not harder awards of the week. Um, avoiding after having to really do anything in the latter match, which hey, as a 38 year old with a shitty body, I appreciate that. The Togi Makabe Award, hell yeah, man! I like that. Uh, but yeah, uh, and like Andretti, I thought looked really good. Guevara looked good. Takeshita, uh, man, they I think they they did a really nice job of continuing to build the Takeshita, like he's this close and Don Callis thing. Uh, he's coming back into the orbit, and I guess they're going to really kickstart that angle after the pay-per-view, um, which I think could be a really good angle because Don Callis is a great performer, and Takeshita is a fantastic uh, professional wrestler and has got more than his fair share of personality, too. Um, you know, And, of course, Powerhouse Hobbs ended up winning in his hometown, uh, setting up a match with either Wardlow or Joe next week, I think it is. Um I thought that was the highlight of the show. As far as promos, uh, Moxley's was amazing. That's one of the best promos of the year right there. And I really like Brandon Danielson's too. Um, I, I know that they plan to bleep out what he said, but they're also aware that it's going to be on the, the fight service, fight TV. And that's going to get up on Twitter like instantly, which it did. Um, and so I really like that segment too. Um, I wish I could have heard Adam Page's promo. Uh, just a total cell phone there with like poor audio quality. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, any other thoughts on that show? Um, it is, it was fine. Um, I, I don't know. Everything I kind of wanted to say about the show, I kind of already did. Um, I will say that you sent me a, an interesting tweet from Eddie Kingston where he just says 1099 independent contractor. Man, About he's leaning into today. <laughs> he's leaning into this bit hard and I'm excited to see what where a guy. it goes. Good, oh. Very good Twitter presence. The um, old work is the new work, baby. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just look forward to just like grumpy Eddie Kingston. Like maybe we'll get a tweet from like the catering sucks anyway. <laughs> Just, I don't know. <laughs> like, for some yeah, reason, the idea of that, like, just make, cracks me up. Um, but, yeah, I, I you know, I, I Eddie Kingston's a great character, and I really do hope they get him back on track, because I felt like he was really building to be, like, a top-of-the-card kind of guy, and then it, the wheels came off uh, over the last half year, basically. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's see. Oh, one more news item that I just saw from the Super J-Cast. They, uh, of course, uh, friends of ours on the Voices of Wrestling uh, Network, uh, they reported that uh, Jay White's contract with New Japan has expired. He is set to uh, leave the company. And also, everyone they have spoken to is convinced that he's going to uh, WWE, as they say, to sit under the Shawn Michaels learning tree. Um, <laughs> just the stupidest memes that would get made up in wrestling, man. Uh, Listen, but yeah, I love Joel. Joel is one Joel's of the great man. guys. I, that was not a diss on Joel, to be clear. I just meant, like, I know he's everything he's so in general. He's so brilliant. Um, I so I think that's interesting that everybody's convinced he's going to WWE. Um, I also wouldn't be shocked if he just shows up in AEW, which I think would also be weird considering how he left New Japan because mm-hmm. everything is canonical. Um, it feels like WWE is, and ends up being the place. And quite frankly, what a fucking waste. Um, yeah. Just so disappointing. We never got a Jay White baby face run where I really thought he was going to be fully unlocked. Um, well, maybe he'll get a go surfing with Shinsuke, you know? Hey, you know what? Good for him. He gets, he gets to make a lot oh, of money know, and not Tony do a lot of work. And, but. You know, go for that Togi Makabe award again. Uh, okay, our last piece of business for the day, I do believe. I haven't checked the Discord yet today, but we do have an email question from Matthew. And he said, hello, gentlemen, which I feel like is a real upgrade on us. Plus, we're stealing someone's gimmick. We got Jesse Collins coming in with a gentleman's wrestling podcast. We can't beat gentlemen. I mean, <laughs> look at Tyler. Shit. Uh, do you oh. have any... Th- 
<laughs> do you have any thoughts or memories on Brock Lesnar's 2004 outing as a Minnesota Viking? Thank you for your time. Matt, exclamation point. Um, um, I will be honest. I do. Um, yeah. I remember following that because my entrance to professional wrestling was that aforementioned Lesnar angle Ironman match. And it was either the week before or the week after the Eddie Guerrero, John Cena parking lot brawl, like Paul Heyman era SmackDown. That was my intro to pro wrestling. Um, so Brock Lesnar was obviously a larger than life individual in the twin cities because he was a phenomenal amateur wrestler, won a national title for the university of Minnesota. And it was, it, Lesnar was different. Um, having really not played football since his senior year of high school, and we're talking like a seven-year gap, he goes in and was the last cut of the Minnesota Vikings. They wanted to put him on the practice yeah. squad. He ended up saying no to that. And oh, Lesnar could have been really, really good. At That's a big what-if right there. Mm-hmm. Um, because, Fun I mean... Fact, I don't know if I've told you this, but multiple WrestleMania main events have come from former Vikings defensive linemen. Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns, baby. That's right. That is very correct. Um, the zero of them have come from Omos, but um, so uh, I do think it's. I, I remember him being in Madden, like I, Madden for that year is like a, a sixty rated player because he, you know, was not expected to make the roster at all. Uh, I don't even think they had like an actual photo of him. They just had like the the generic player pick. Um, I think you can go back and edit his stats up to be great. But, I mean, it is a very intriguing, like, what would a whole lot of different things have been like if he decided to actually be, commit himself to uh, professional wrestling and, um, you know, or I'm sorry, professional football. Words are hard, as is thinking. Um, and, like, actually, like, became good at that. Like, you know, not only would that affect possibly him possibly going back to WWE or not, but also to uh, UFC. You know, that's a big what if right there if UFC never got him because for a while he was a huge star and you could make an argument that at his peak he was the best heavyweight of all time, I think. Um, you know, Fedor, Fedor uh, did a lot more for a lot longer, but, you know, in terms of just peak because Brock was fa- facing uh, like top tier guys every time out until his guts yeah. rotted away. But, and yeah. Lesnar never thought fought anywhere close to 100% because of the diverticulitis. Yeah, that was that really affected his career real bad. Um, but like they built, I think, a lot of UFC 100 around him, and that was a massive gate. And he just did a bunch of business. Um, in fact, uh, if you have not seen it, I strongly recommend looking up his post-win promo when he first won the UFC Heavyweight Championship. Uh, one of the all-time great, just like, I'm going off script and I don't care things i've ever seen especially because i think it was Coors light that was the sponsor for ufc at the time and he just buries it as part of his promo um great stuff yeah um lesnar was a special man he yeah. really really was um, and i mean like, he still I mean, kind of is is the thing but like i i just you know it is kind of sad what like the past four years or whatever have done to his career where he's just like in this really bland spot with WWE and like Brock Lesnar should be anything but bland. No, I agree hundred um, percent. I just, I would love to see him come to AEW and just do some Haas matches. Oh, just, just imagine the online discourse. Oh my gosh. I'd love it. It would people be, think Chris Jericho doesn't put anyone over. <laughs> Brock will put you over if he's getting paid enough money and it makes sense. Oh yeah, he will. Yeah. But, um, but he's, like, he's not, lo- he's not losing to Fuego del Sol. No. He, he'll probably lose to Powerhouse Hobbs. He, like, he'll you would lose probably to Kenny approach, Omega. You'd approach him to like put over, you know, like make Peter Avalon look strong for half a match. He'd probably be like, <laughs> "Are you fucking kidding me? No, yeah. not a chance." Anyways, um, that's it for me on the show. I don't think we got anything else to discuss today. I don't think so either. I've got a dog that wants to play with his little burger toy, as Fred has already seen me throw. Um, but it's thank not you a all euphemism. For- no, it, it is literally a toy, stuffed toy, that it looks like a burger. Um, you can find me on Twitter at The Real Forno and all my uh, work at The Vikings Wire, um, which you can find both on Twitter and on it, the website, vikingswire.com. Um, you can find Fred on Twitter at Flagrant Rasslin, and that is with an R, not a W, Rasslin, like the Southern Territory. Um, and then you can find us um, if you are listening on the Voice of Wrestling podcast feed. Thank you very much. Uh, please support us by subscribing to our own. 
You can just search the good, the bad, and the hungry. Um, and you can find us on Discord or send us an email at hungrypod at gmail.com. We will answer any and all questions on the show, just like we did for Matthew earlier today about Brock Lesnar. Thank you all for listening very much. Um, next week, we may have a bonus show, as Fred alluded to earlier, talking about just this pay-per-view, and then we'll go into kind of the the show after uh, Revolution to talk about the, what the future of this company is going to be coming out of the show. Um, until then, have yourselves a wonderful day. Go watch the Underwear Olympics like I'm starting to right now, and Skull Vikings. Uh, rest in peace, Wayne Shorter. Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host for You've Got to Be Kidding Me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, and Liam will do bits and whatnot.